Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys. Thanks for being here. We do it. We are so glad when we get to come together and worship together. Um, okay, here's your word, a couple words. Conspiracy theories. Got your attention now? Anybody a little nervous? <laughs> Maybe. Um, you know, conspiracy theories have been around, well, forever. I mean, they're not new. You go back even to the, to the Gospels and the resurrection of Jesus, and they're trying to explain away the resurrection, you know, and they're like, oh, we'll tell them that the body was stolen, you know, and that kind of stuff. So conspiracy theories are nothing new, but as I was kind of exploring this topic this week, I discovered there was a stat, and I thought, you know, I, uh, this is crazy to me. Recent data shows that about 50% of Americans believe at least one discredited conspiracy theory. All right, 50%. Let's divide this room about right here, right? So which side is it? Which one's pointing fingers at the other side? Let's mock them. No, I'm just kidding. Isn't that crazy to think about, though? 50% believe at least one discredited conspiracy theory? I mean, there's some crazy ones out there, too, right? I mean, if you begin to dig into this, um, from the possible and plausible to the outlandish, I will say sometimes it's kind of difficult to know what to believe, isn't it? I mean, look at some of these theories that we found on the internet. Maybe hopefully some of these can be put to rest. So like number one, the conspiracy, th this is kind of the original conspiracy theory, right? For Americans, it's like up there with like who killed JFK. Um, the U.S. didn't land on the moon. This is like, a and so if you believe this, I'm sorry, I'm going to mock you a little bit. No, um, this is a conspiracy theory. It rose in the 70s after the 69 Apollo moon landing. Theorists assert that the U.S. faked the moon landing to beat the Russians to the moon. So, and, and so that it was, you know, that's why they did it. But due to this theory's popularity, NASA still spends time fighting this theory to this day. Your tax dollars hard at work. There you go. Um, yeah, that's tough right there, right? Theory number two. Here's another one. I didn't know this one. Beatles singer Paul McCartney died in 1966. Anybody know that? No. There's a conspiracy theory that they're convinced that Paul McCartney got into an argument with the other Beatles in November of 66. He stomped out of the recording studio and was promptly, this is great, decapitated in a car accident. Wasn't just killed, he just lost his whole head, you know? And to cover the whole thing up, the conspiracy theorists say that the band hired a lookalike. However, Paul McCartney still asserts that he is very much alive today. <laughs> but really, do we really know? <laughs> Here's another one. This one's just beyond what I can imagine. Too much television and sci-fi here. Um, that reptilians that look like humans live among us with the intention of enslaving the human race. We'd move this one to the outlandish, right? Uh, it has been championed that a number of powerful humans, including the royal family, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, they're actually reptiles that came to earth for gold and power. Yeah, I'm with Jill Noble. Just shake your head. Theory number four. <laughs> this one's sound, I didn't know this one either. Finland doesn't exist. <laughs> this one cracks me up. Liz Pavey helps me put some of these together. She found, some, she found these for us. This was great. It was a joke that started on the social media platform Reddit. And in 2016, it turned into a full-fledged conspiracy theory. Here it is. 
says Russia and Japan apparently made up the fictional country of Finland in 1918 so that Japan could fish the Baltic Sea. They claim that the fish is then shipped from the, from the eastern Russian coast to Japan under the disguise or the dis, yeah, disguise of Nokia products. <laughs> Interesting. Now, this one may be a little controversial, the next one. Oh, 5G caused the coronavirus. We could just dig ourselves into a deep, dark hole over the coronavirus uh, conspiracy theories. Rumors circulated that the outbreak was linked to 5G mobile technology, which some say may cause cancer or other illnesses. Scientists have since debunked the theory, but some still hold on to it, that 5G caused coronavirus. And the last one I did not know about, this was called Tiffany Dover is Dead. Amy shared this one with me. Yep. There's a podcast now. So here's the theory on this one. Uh, In December of 2020, Tiffany Dover was a nurse, uh, nurse manager from Tennessee, and she was interviewed by reporters shortly after receiving her first COVID vaccine. Well, then live on television, she fainted. Oh my. And a rumor took hold that she died, even though days later she came back for another interview saying she was fine, but conspiracy theorists maintain that the footage was fake. They said it had been recorded before her death and that she'd been replaced by a lookalike. Wow, man. Um, you know, she is alive. Um, she is alive. We don't believe the conspiracy. You can go back and see where she answered it. It's kind of interesting. But, you know, the, some of these are a little crazy. Some of these maybe we've believed. I think coronavirus, COVID-19 tested all of us in our abilities and what do we believe? And more importantly, what is true? And, you know, in a 24-7 news cycle world with mostly unfiltered social media, with every conceivable bias and conspiracy theory getting airtime, how can we possibly know what is true? Maybe you're not like me, but I, I struggle with that question. Especially during COVID-19, you'd see things posted on the internet, and I'd start researching, and I would say, is this true? Is it not true? Who do you know how to tr- who to trust in all this? And just to bring it home a little bit, in, during COVID-19, we tried to be very moderated in our responses as a church. We stopped meeting for about 15 weeks from March to July because we thought that was prudent to keep people safe. In that moment, we kind of followed the CDC guidelines of when to get back together. We required masks. And in the fall of, or the late 2020, when the CDC changed their guidance to say, if you'd been vaccinated, mask moved to kind of that recommended state. That's where we went. We actually had an individual who went to church here come to us as staff and said, "Um, I'm leaving your church. I love you guys, but I can't be here any longer. I can't believe you would listen to the CDC. You should have made your own decision based on your own research and what you found on the internet. And I just can't believe you would just blindly follow the CDC. I'm leaving. Okay. If there's ever, I mean, I would love to make this statement. There's never been a time where truth has been more in question than it is now, but I just don't think that's a true statement. I think since the beginning of the fall, that truth has always become into question. And it's something that we as humanity have struggled with, with how do we know what is true? In fact, as you look to the Bible, there's an interesting exchange between Jesus and Pilate. Jesus has been arrested. 
He's going back and forth between the people and the, the, you know, the Jewish leaders want him killed and they can't do it because they don't have the power to kill people. And so Jesus is having this conversation with Pilate, you know, this big wig in the government. And uh, just look at this exchange. So Pilate comes out to them and, and asks the crowd, says, what charges are you bringing against this man? And they said, if he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. So Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. That kind of tells you their motive right there. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside and then summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Oh, excuse me. Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Ah, you're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there, and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. What is truth? Isn't that the question? The 64000 or million dollar, or how many other dollars you want to put on it? That's the question. And we live in a world and in a time, I think, where the prevailing sentiment is to even qualify that statement. Well, truth. Well, it's my truth. And it's your truth. And it's his truth. And it's her truth. And it's their truth. I mean, we hear that. I mean, it's, it's like that is the question that even gets asked of people in interviews. So tell me your truth. I mean, I, to me, it'd be better to say, tell me your side of the story. I kind of like that framing better. But when we continue to see it framed in this, tell me your truth so that I have my truth and you have, you have your truth, we kind of get to this place where we lose all concept of the truth. What is the truth? Is there any such thing as the truth? And postmodernism tells us there's no truth because it's all been constructed, uh, socially constructed by those in power. I mean, that's an interesting philosophy right there, that they're only, the only reason we have any truth is because those in power have told us and that the reason they've done it is so they can maintain power. And as one philosopher said, truth is whatever your peers will let you get away with. Kind of true, right? And when we begin to break down truth, it doesn't take long for us, especially in our culture today, and it's not just us, it's been around forever, we get to this idea that truth is relative. It is my truth, it's your truth, there's no the truth. All truth is relative. But why? Why have we lost the ability to stand on an idea that says there is such thing as truth? I think there's a couple of reasons. The first is just simply tolerance. And I'm not, and, and let me qualify this, and we're, you're going to hear me say this again probably towards the end. We're not talking about being a jerk. We're not talking about cramming things down people's throat. We're not talking about picket signs and beating people up and screaming on social media and all that stuff, okay? That's not what we're talking about. But when we talk about tolerance, we have elevated the idea of tolerance so much that we think that being tolerant or not standing for anything becomes enlightened. And we are more open-minded if we say something like, you know, I disagree with what you're saying, and that's good that you believe it, but that's, not, that's your truth, not my truth. So we think that's more enlightened when we get there. 
So we've elevated the idea of tolerance, which again, isn't necessarily a bad thing. We just believe it supersedes even truth. But when we be- assume to believe truth, we get also, I think we, we, that's the other problem with it, is we assume that when we say there is truth, people will think we're narrow-minded. And who wants to be narrow-minded? I mean, nobody wants to have that label stuck around your neck, right? And not only that, we're also labeled as arrogant. <laughs> who do you think you are to claim a truth? That's not, you, you know, oh, so you know, you know, we're afraid of that. But when we really begin to dig into relative truth, there really are some glaring problems I think we have to, to address before we just say, yes, all truth is relative. Because believe it or not, that statement that all truth is relative is a self-refuting statement, right? I mean, to say there is no such thing as absolute truth is an absolute statement. I mean, I don't know how to make it any clearer than that. It's self-refuting. And so, yeah, (laughs) enough said. The second one is simply this. No one really lives this out. No one really lives out the relative truth that we claim to hold to. Two examples of this. If we say truth is relative and my truth says it's okay to slap you, and I do, you can't look at me and say, that's wrong. Because I'll just look at you and go say, well, that's your truth. My truth said it was good and fun to slap you. (laughs) And, And take this to the nth degree. We can't judge the Holocaust as being evil because that was Hitler's truth. And we can't judge 9-11. It just becomes a rational expression of someone's faith. That is their truth. But we all would say that's crazy. So no one truly lives this out. Another example I heard a pastor share is this. If you and I are standing in the middle of a dark highway, no lights around at all, and we're in the middle of the road, and we see two lights start coming towards us. And I look at it and I go, hmm, that's a car. We should get out of the way. And you say, that's not a car. That's two motorcycles. We should just stand in the middle of the road and they'll miss us. What are we going to do? Are you going to stay in the middle of the road hoping you're right? No. No one lives out the relative truth because in the end, one of us will be right. One of us will figure out whether it's a car or motorcycle and I'll live because I moved to the side of the road and you won't because you didn't. There's a truth there. We both can't be right. Nobody, I believe, really believes all truth is, is, is relative or they don't live it out. I mean, we believe in right and wrong at some level. We believe children being trafficked is wrong. We believe genocide is wrong. This isn't possible if truth is relative. Another issue we have to deal with is we say it's narrow-minded. But realistically, all truth is narrow, isn't it? When you really get down to it, all truth is narrow. Even those that say all truth is relative, it's a narrow expression. And they would say anybody outside that vein of belief is wrong. I mean, when you think about it, um, truth is narrow. Two plus two equals? Four. Exactly. There's only one right answer. It's not even 4.00001. The answer is four. But what's interesting is that there are an unlimited number of potential wrong answers to that question. So when you gauge what we call truth in view of all the other things, 
Yeah, it's pretty narrow. All truth is narrow, you know? And then the last problem, I think, with relative truth is just simply this. We assume that for something to be true, it means we have to believe it. I heard I saw an example yesterday of this. If I'm called you and I say, hey, my computer is purple. Do you believe that? Does it matter? If my computer is purple and you go, I don't believe you have a purple computer, does it change the truth? No. Truth is truth whether people believe it or not. And I think that's kind of some important stuff that we have to remember. And so when it comes to deconstruction, I hope you see why this becomes such a big topic. Because everything becomes truth and then nothing is truth. And it's easy to see how why you be, when you begin to take apart those Jenga pieces of our faith, and you could see that it could easily fall into this rubble of relativism. What is truth? The question that Pilate asked, I think many of us are asking today. Now, I think Pilate dealt with it in a very dismissive way, evidenced by the fact that he just kind of dismissed it and moved on afterwards. But let's wrestle with that question a little bit more this morning. What is truth? And let me put your minds at ease. We don't have to be scared of this question. For some reason, we do not let this become an attack on your faith or a thing that tears you up. We can honestly come to these questions and we might come away with an answer. We might come away with more questions and all that is okay because as we began this series looking at, we're going to talk about more today, we're going to take this back to Jesus. That's where we want to take all this back to. In the Gospel of John, we see recorded what some would call some very narrow statements that Jesus made. I mean, you look at John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus is talking about leaving the disciples. And he says, hey, we want to know where you're going. And he looks at them and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I don't know about you, that's a pretty narrow statement. Doesn't give a lot of room. You know, Jesus is saying, I am the truth. And so it tells us there's a very narrow pursuit that leads to the Father. What's interesting is as you read this, what he's also saying to us is that truth, the pursuit of truth, is not simply an intellectual pursuit. It's also a relational pursuit as well. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, the belief in me is the truth. He didn't say the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, or the Baptist Creed, or whatever is the way and the truth. And God help us, I'm going to say it. He didn't even say the Bible is the truth. Now, I think it is. I think there, it contains the truth. But it points us to him who is the truth. This is a relational pursuit. He should be the center of who he is, what he said, how he taught, what he did, that need, in our pursuit of the truth, to answer that question, we need to begin pursuing him. And what's interesting is as you dig into that last little discourse in John, this long, lengthy conversation he had with his disciples before he's arrested, he makes other statements about the truth. In fact, look at this. He says this. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear to hear. I've got more that I want, need to tell you, but you're not ready to hear. It's what Jesus is saying. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, 
He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will, uh, that he will receive what he will make known to you, and that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said that the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. That's in John 16. Did you catch what Jesus said there? He says, There's, I'm, I'm speaking, and I'm bringing, and I am truth. This is who he was. This is how I lived. And he laid out that example that we're to follow in how to live in truth. And he even said things like, this is what is required to follow me. He has to become the filter by which we see everything. But, and, to help us on this journey, knowing that flipping through here is not going to answer every question we have. And in two weeks, we're going to talk about the Bible and the Bible's role in deconstruction and all that. So stay with us, come back. But Jesus is saying, even this might be insufficient. So I'm going to give you the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit to live within you, to guide you, to speak to you, to guide you into all truth. But what's interesting is truth is found in Jesus and when we're listening and following him. The question we have to ask, though, is are we listening? Are we listening? Do we know who Jesus is? I mean, if we're reading about Jesus and we're listening to the Spirit, here's the challenge. Doesn't that mean that we could come to different conclusions? I mean, just look around us. The, the, the thousands of different religions and denominations today. We can come to the conclusion that Jesus is truth and guides us into truth and the Spirit guides us into truth. And we can be diligently and passionately about the truth. So what is the difference? And that's why I think truth has to be balanced with discernment. It isn't just about hearing and knowing the truth and even trying to live it out. There has to be a level where we come to a discerning mind where we're able to evaluate what we're hearing. I mean, there's no question. The last two and a half years have certainly led us there where we need to have a discerning mind because we see every possible conspiracy and every possible thought out there. How do we know what is true? It comes to discernment, the ability to discern. As I was reading and studying this week, though, I came across uh, uh, an interesting uh, thought. There's an author by the name of Neil Postman, and he wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And he writes in his introduction, he contrasts two books. One of them is George Orwell's 1984, and the other one is Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. And in Orwell's 1984, it says that he looked to the dystopian future and anticipated that books would be banned by the government as a result of censorship. But in Brave New World, Huxley held that books, rather than being banned, would become marginalized by a torrent of new information. One saw the dystopian future in terms of censorship. The other saw the dystopian future as one marked by access to too much information where one could not discern falsehood from truth because of too much knowledge and information. Let me just let that sit out there with you for just a moment. Anybody feel that way? And nothing challenges our ability to discern. And I'll just tell you, I'm an input person. 
I constantly read too much. I, ne- I mean, I was last night. I finished this manuscript for this sermon Friday morning. You'd think he'd put it to bed. Going to bed last night, I went, ah, oh, let's look up some more. <laughs> let's find some more articles to read on truth. And I've added them in this morning because I'm just dumb like that. We could never get to the seemingly end of the amount of information out there. And I'm not against information. I love information. I love reading. I love processing. But there is truth that says all this information has done is made it more and more difficult for us to be able to possibly discern what is true. It goes on, says Postman writes this in his introduction. He said, Orwell feared those who would deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us so much information that we would be reduced to passivity and egoism. Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared that the truth would be drowned out in a sea of irrelevance. That's good, isn't it? So what do we do here? First John, a little further over in the New Testament, chapter 4. Remember, this is a letter written by a man to a church at that time. This is a church that's kind of dealing with their own issues of what is truth. People come in. People begin to question who Jesus was. Specifically, there was this idea that said Jesus wasn't really human, that he was just spirit. There's a problem with that, because if Jesus was just a spirit, spirit doesn't die on the cross, and therefore it makes Jesus' whole life and ministry, death and resurrection, you know, pointless. But here's what John says when he wrote this to them. He says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. I need to repeat that. Dear friend, do not believe every spirit. I think we need a little bit of that advice and counsel today. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Weigh them is the word, the the idea behind that. Weigh them so that whether you can see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. See what he's addressing there? But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. That is a powerful statement. We can't just be unthinking and accept all teaching and everything that presents itself as truth. And as one commentary I read put it, to test the spirits today will take considerable discernment and not a little courage. But we still have a responsibility not to simply accept every teaching that comes our way, but to address the challenges to truth as they happen. We have to be willing to do that. As I said, the challenge in John's day was about Jesus. Was he physically here? Was he not? What's the issue we deal with? Well, we don't have time to list them all. There are so many challenges. What I want you to understand, though, is when it comes to discernment, there's kind of two wings that we need to embrace. Because discernment occurs best in contemplation and community. Now think about those two things. They're kind of the extreme ends, aren't they? Because when you get to contemplation, what you're talking about is the action of looking thoughtfully at something for a long time. With our short attention spans, we don't do this very well. We're looking for the next stimulus to, to, you know, put into our faces. But to contemplate means that we stop, we pause, we quiet the voices that are constantly screaming at us. And we need to step out of the echo chambers that we created 
that we want to reinforce our ideas, and we need to move to a place to allow the Spirit of God to speak to us. Now, for many of us, if it doesn't happen quickly, we just get up and move on because we're in a microwave drive through culture. We want everything given to us quickly and, you know, but we have to be willing to make space for this to happen. What we need to understand, though, about this moment is that our discernment is going to be shaped by what we allow to disciple us. What are we feeding ourselves throughout the week? That will shape your discernment process. And if this is social media, if it's a specific news channel, that's going to be the lens through which you try to interpret everything. And it's in, in a conversation with Steve Rogers this week, he said, he asked this question, he says, we have to figure out, are we trying to interpret, uh, to interpret the Bible through the lens of the headlines, or are we interpreting the headlines through the lens of the Bible and Jesus? I think the, one of the problems of the American church is we're not even realizing the lenses through which we're even to evaluate truth. I picked up a book this week because I read way too many books and just can't, can't help myself from buying a new one. It's a series of sermons that were put out by Chinese pastors during COVID who they were going to have this seminar. They ended up putting it online, and they uh, collected all these sermons and put them together. And let me just tell you, I'm about two sermons in, and I, can, I don't know if I'm going to be able to finish it. The conviction is heavy because these guys are talking about things like persecution and suffering. We have no idea. And we want to sit back and fight about things that I think the Chinese church would look at us and go... I wish I had your problem. Although they'd also look at us and say, your faith isn't very real either because you really don't know what suffering's like. So, um, but we need to take that step back. We need to stop and say, what are the lenses through which I'm trying to interpret the things I see? If we don't, we're never going to get to truth. Because even when we look to Jesus, who is the truth, all we will see is a Jesus that we've created in our image. And that gets convicting. Because when Jesus begins to make some claims on my life, I don't like that Jesus. And I want to go back to the other Jesus who just kind of affirms me and just pats me on the head and says, Good job, Brent. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. The other side of this coin is that discernment requires community. Yes, get away by yourself. Listen, quiet the voices, hear, discern, meditate on the scripture, all those things. And when you are done, come together. Find other people who are genuinely and honestly not building a church or building something for themselves, but trying to follow Jesus, whether or not they have the same label as you or not, and get together and talk about what your time and contemplation has done. Community is critical. The apostles did it. Acts chapter 15, I talked about that last week, when they're trying to figure out how Jewish you have to be to be a Christian. They contemplated, they came together, and they figured it out. For us, as a somewhat Baptist church, 
Um, we believe in this idea of priesthood of the believers, which says we empower you to discern and listen to the voice of God for yourselves. But also, when John says here to test the spirits, he's not saying you by yourself, you singular. The letter's written to a church, a community, and that means together, you all come together. He's addressing the communal body of Christ, the church. The verbs are plural, implying that his spiritual discernment is an obligation of the Christian community. We need to be challenging one another. We need to be encouraging one another. We need to be saying, what is God speaking to you? This is what keeps our contemplation and, and pursuit of truth from falling too far away from Jesus. Discernment is required because not everything we encounter is truth. The first century church had to address it, and there will be times where we have to be willing to lovingly challenge those things that challenge the truth of Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Now, I'm gonna, as I said, this whole series is really challenging for me. I love it. But as I was thinking about the idea of truth, I, came, I just had this thought. So does truth change? Does truth change? And I don't think truth does because Jesus doesn't change if we define truth as Jesus. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. However, our interpretation of the truth might change. And I thought about this. And then I thought about in the, in the book of Acts, the Apostle Peter, good Jewish guy, good follower of Jesus. We wouldn't fault him for this. He has a vision one day where he sees this thing come down from heaven and it's full of animals and God says, go kill and eat. And Peter's like, nope, I'm just a test God. I'm going to pass. No, thank you. God does it two more times and concludes this by saying to Peter, well, Peter's response was, I'm not going to eat because that is unclean. And God's response is, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. Now go to the Gentiles, who they considered unclean. For Peter, the truth was, be clean. I can't even step foot inside the home of a Gentile. But God was reorienting what Peter thought was truth to see something new. <laughs> Peter was forcefully directed by the spirit of truth to move into new theological territory that must have seen uncertain. And when we understand what Jesus talks about when he says the spirit of truth will guide us, but are we willing to listen? Are we willing to go where Jesus is taking us? We don't have to be so narrow-minded about things that we also place ourselves in a position that we're unwilling or unable to hear God when he speaks to us. So let's talk just real quickly about narrow-mindedness. How do we ensure we're not just being narrow-minded? Well, keep in mind, we said all truth is narrow. So that's a given, okay? So let's just set that up. But what makes us narrow-minded isn't the fact that we believe something. What makes us narrow-minded is how we hold on to it. If you have a belief that you say is true, and it's because it was only given to you generationally and you've never thought about it. If when people try to ask you about it or ask questions about it, even in a non-threatening way, and you shut that down because it's a threat to what you believe, then yes, you are narrow-minded. Hmm. However, if we hold on to these things and we say, I have truth, I believe truth, I believe in Jesus, he is the way, that is my truth, that, not just my truth, that is the truth. 
And I hold that. And in holding that, I un- I've thought about it. I've wrestled with it. I see it. I know it. I've experienced it. And I hold that with an opportunity for people to come in and ask me questions and I don't have to shut them down. I'm not threatened by it. I can deal with this and I can embrace conversation around it. How is that narrow-minded? And if also I hold on to that with two things, humility and love, that takes off the narrow-minded nature of it. You see... I just want to say to you this morning, it's okay to believe in truth. It's okay to have truth. And yes, people can push back against you or criticize you for it, but I want you to know the answer to this is not to water it down. Don't water down. Know why you believe. And as I said, express that truth in love and humility. And my time is done. But I just want to share one thing. (laughs) Sorry, I'm along today. I was reading this week, somebody shared with me actually a a thing on Instagram, and it was two women who have built uh, a business on helping people deconstruct. And very well done videos, looks amazing, very catchy, no criticism at all. And I began to look at their stuff that they were posting, and I started reading kind of the things that they would help us deconstruct from. And you know what I thought? I'm with you. I agree with you. I agree with almost everything they were trying to help people deconstruct from. You know the only difference is they threw Jesus in with that. They threw Jesus in to the things of religion and the trappings and the fundamentalism and all the add-ons that we've added to truth. They threw Jesus in and threw him out as well. You see, they say that that's where you find freedom is to just ditch it all. And that's where we find truth. But Jesus says that, you know, if you hold to my teachings and you're really my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. We think freedom's found over here, but it's really not. It's found in Jesus. And I think about the oppressive religious system that these women must have come from. This difficulty, this challenging thing that was just crushing them. And my heart breaks for them because I look at a Jesus who is not what they've thrown out. I look to a Jesus who describes something completely different. In fact, Eugene Peterson in his message translation of the Bible in Matthew 11, listen to this. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Can I just tell you what these women threw away? I throw away. This is the truth. If the religious structure we've created is crushing us and beating us down, I want to give you freedom and tell you that's not truth. That's not Jesus. That's man's made up version of truth. And Jesus today is sending out to us an invitation to deconstruct that, to get rid of it and come and find him in the truth and the light burden and yoke and freedom that he offers us. Worship team, go ahead and come forward.
Oh, man. So, 